Paul Ford. Richard Ziotti. Well, you know, I think it's time for us to do our official podcast, Track Changes. Let's do it. Track Changes is the podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio in New York City. Let's not waste too much time with all this intro stuff. Okay. Let's get straight to the show. We're going to answer an interesting email from a listener. This is a really interesting This email. is a really interesting I email. read it seven times, in fact. It, it, it got you. It really messed with your brain. It really did. Let's go, go through it and read it, read it slowly, Paul. Let's do that. And after that, we're going to check in again with our friend Craig Maud. Wow, cool. Okay. And talk with him a little bit about what's going on in his wild international world. Yes. All right, Rich, you ready for this email? Go. This is from L. Noel, which is a great combination. L. Noel Chrisman, and he writes the following. Good morning. I love all the information and background that you, both, Paul and Rich, share with both the industry and your company. I've also really enjoyed Paul's previous writings about dealings with anxiety. And that's true. I have written quite a bit about anxiety. I'd love to hear your perspectives on running a company while dealing with mental illness slash brain space shenanigans. Does Rich ever have any experience with this? What's it like working with someone who invented an anxiety robot? That's me, by the way. Did Paul's previous openness about his anxiety ever give Rich any hesitation? Does Paul ever feel that his previous openness has left him exposed within the company or with prospective investors slash clients? I'm tremendously encouraged by Paul's previous revelations of his anxiety and watching what he's accomplished while working with it. And I'm fascinated every week with what comes to light on the podcast. That's great. Thank you for sharing all you do. Best, Noel. So, a all right, but, great email. Thank you, Noel. It made it feel great. Very happy. Okay. Maybe so, Noel. I'm sorry. I think he sent us information on pronunciation. I can't find uh, it. Let's pause before we even get into this question. I'm very anxious. Okay. I'm very nervous about We've this had numerous, mar- let's call them marketing strategy meetings at Postlight. And one of the things we want to signal out is we, we can't just let track changes be this sort of self-indulgent thing where we're just sort of, oh, that's hilarious. Let's talk about it. What we want to do is signal out to everyone that we are badass at our work. That we're at serious the work we professionals. Do, that we're serious professionals. You can rely on us. We are... Client service experts who truly understand platforms. Second to none. So what we're going to do then instead is talk about how I'm dealing with my co-founder's anxiety, which is really going to just sow the seeds of confidence in prospective clients out there. All right, pick up the phone, send an email to contact at postlight.com, and I'll tell you just what's worrying me about the color blue right now. Exactly. All right, so with that, I do want to say that before we get into this question, I just want to preface it with we're an incredibly reliable organization. We get things done. And in the face of adversity, we are a calming force and that uh, we're problem solvers. We don't let emotion get in the way. And that if you're looking for that in a partner, Postlight is the place to come to. With that, now let's go back through this list of questions that you've put in front of us, Paul Ford. All right. So the fundamental question here is, what is it like founding a company with a crazy person who puts everything at risk at all times with his mental illness? <laughs> I don't think that's the question. I think you're, you're exaggerating. I might bit. be exaggerating okay. a little bit. He asked about five questions. So let's, let's go one by one. What's the first question he asked in the note? What's it like, Rich, running a company while dealing with mental illness and brain space shenanigans? Okay. First off, I just have to say thank you, Noel. Is it Noel? Or Noel. Noel or for, Noel. for really showing Noel. just this real concern for me. It's true. He's really the worried about is. how I'm dealing with 
Paul Ford, right? So, which is, I, I appreciate that. Um, what's it like? Um, it's fine. I think what you'll find, and this is going to be disappointing to Noel, is Noel. that, uh, or Noel, what's going to be disappointing is that it turns out that Paul Ford is a pro, that uh, he parks a lot of that stuff at work, and in fact, is pretty steely-eyed uh, when the uh, that moment, capital M, arrives, uh, he's, he's the real deal. Um, so... No, I don't have to convince Paul to come out of the bathroom and after I hear all that sobbing. It's just not happening. Um, you've got a true professional on your hands, uh, Mr. Listener. Uh, you know, let me tell I Look, I have thoughts about this. I decided many, many years ago in my life that most of the people that I was around were behaving in a kind of false manner. And I also decided that I wanted to write. And I decided that I would not let my fears of how I would be perceived interfere with the kind of writing that I was going to do. I was going to honestly narrate my own experiences. Now, at the same time, I found that I truly enjoyed being a professional. I like it. I like working with people. I like client service. I like dealing with complicated problems. And I like understanding how the great big giant clanking machinery of the world works. So client service is natural for me. I've done it on and off for 20 years. People know me as a writer, but they don't know that I've been consulting all this time. Right. So there's this thing going on. I'll give you an example. I wrote about uh, the fact that my wife and I had real fertility issues. And very I wrote- Very widely read article. Very widely read. And I've mentioned it before. And the, here's why I wrote that. Because as I was going through that experience, I found that very few people felt comfortable writing about it. And I read a lot of nonsense that, that people had written. And I read a lot of sort of bad articles about that experience. Interesting. There was a lot by women. And there was very, very little by men. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to have this experience, at some point, I need to sit down and try to honestly describe what it was like. It was not fatal. It was not the end of my life. But it was a hard and challenging thing. And I'm going to share it because I think that will be useful to people. And I wrote that thing. And I published it. And my friends just poured out of the woodwork, poured. People I knew, people I'd known for years. And they said, I didn't know you two. You were having that experience. I was having it. And they just hadn't been able to make that link. And, and, so, and I just want to, as a reader of that piece, I didn't go through what you went through. But one of the things I think that really brings your writing sort of closer to kind of people's sentiments is your humor. And your willingness to sort of rather than elevate the thing into this crescendo of like swelling music and all this stuff, you actually kind of downplay it, meaning like, hey, look, this is ridiculous. We always wake and, up the next morning. And right? yeah, and life is ridiculous. Yeah. And this is part of life. And here we are. And I think that that's sort of your ace in a lot of in a lot of your writing. Look, uh, I mean, here's the thing. In a professional services context, it's unusual that I openly discuss aspects of my life. In fact, we should assume by default that all of us, I mean, as professionals, that's not why someone is in the room, uh, usually. The thing is, is, yeah, clients don't care. Yeah, they, they want don't, their thing. If they know, they're just like, oh, yeah, Paul's a writer. That's weird. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Right. And they know that I write about my life. First of all, if you... 
If you eliminated everyone who had anxiety issues from the leadership of America's corporate life, there would be no one. It would be like left behind. It would just be ghosts. I mean, these are human beings. These are right? human beings. There it, is, in the, in the Fortune 500, a certain number of CEOs, some percentage of the CEOs of the Fortune 500 have an adult diaper fetish. Without a doubt. I'm First fully all, convinced. They're all white men, so you know like, that's where it happens. There is an adult crib, yeah. an adult diaper there situation. Is, there's more of them named Jeff than there are. I mean, like, oh, these are we're human. There is, is, is what I'm what getting at here is, is f- we're all human. What we know is that there's a Fortune 500 firm with a CEO named Jeff who has an adult diaper fetish. Without a doubt, I would put five hundred dollars on that. And if Jeff comes in in a diaper, I will give him five hundred dollars. With with well, I mean, I'd also like to pitch him our services here at Postlight, absolutely a digital and, product studio, <laughs> right? Where we City. build mobile apps and platforms. So look here, but the real answer to the question is no one cares i know i have a couple things that make my make my brain a little weird yeah i happen also to be able to write and communicate at a national level which really comes in handy when you're creating an agency right and you you really are willing to uh, expose yourself in pretty unusual well, ways that's, as a that's writer. a really bad way to that, put it yeah but uh, i am I don't want to live a life where i've covered up aspects of my personality i've gotten too many emails from people who've said I really, you know, I didn't know that anyone else felt that way. And I know for a fact that 40% of the world feels that way. Right. Right. And so why why live a life of shenanigans and nonsense? Correct. And and what is probably most disappointing about that note is it doesn't end with, and also, Rich, how are you doing? Yeah, they just assume that you're- They just assume I'm like some steely-eyed- The portrait of of mental health and sanity. Exactly. And and I just want to let everyone know, all the listeners know- that I'm 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 a mess. Yeah, I'm a complete. Oh my mess. god! It's a, it's like if watch- only people could take a glimpse into my you know what happens outside of the sort of you know the the box that is post life. Oh, come work here and sit in on like a, on a marketing I, meeting. I, <laughs> <laughs> You'll see things exactly. It's like looking into a kaleidoscope. Exactly. So I think I think you know not to disappoint. I think he's really he's really I think this writer takes comfort in the fact and is just kind of fascinated by this like really vulnerable person but who's also running this serious company right? I mean I have I to think say that's- I think people are disappointed sometimes because they come to me and they might expect that I'm going to connect with them on that wavelength and that's in the writing yeah but day to day I'm here to literally just do a job and you know, there's another thing going on here I love work like work is the place where Everything else in your life can be pretty bad. You can yeah. go to the doctor and have bad news. You can get a weird call from your troubled family member. Right. And you can go to work and you can bring that drama into work or you can say, actually, I'm good at my job. I'm going to do my stuff. I'm going to answer my emails and I'm going to maybe tell my closest friends here what's going on. Yep. But if the day goes by without me getting something done, then I've slipped. Right. Then there's a real problem. But if you can actually go to work and get the job done, then right. you know you might have a lot to deal with when you go home, but you're probably going to be able to deal with it because you were able to get the job done too. Yeah. And that is really important to me. I think when I don't work, I get real unmoored. I get lost. We are fortunate, right? We get to actually have jobs that we like filling our days with. Yeah. Uh, and 
the opportunity to not sit there and sort of stare at, you know, at the walls and think about sort of the hard things and actually feel productive and feel like, wow, I got something done today. Use some of that mental energy. Yeah. That other minds might really spin around. Oh, yeah. It's a bad scene. I I know that I'm not I'm not good on like the Thanksgiving weekend. No, I'm not good. And it's not because of the family thing. I'm just I just have problems with it. I'm it's just it's bad. Start opening up Google spreadsheets at random. It's just bad, right? It's I I can't I can't just say, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to watercolor." Yeah. I don't have that I, that other thing, unfortunately. Look, thing, I love this. I happen to love what I do. And there's a thing that happens as you get older, which is you realize that the wheel's never going to stop turning. Oh, no. So you just better just get used to that wheel. And if anything find some peace in that because there are there are knots in your life that you're never going to undo right everybody has them whether right. it be your dad or your debt or whatever it may be and the, the thing it's such a good feeling to go somewhere and actually have a little project where my only job is to put those five Lego pieces on top of each other and go home right and if I can get those five things done get those five pieces put together and today. I'm going to feel like I got some shit done, and that feels really good. No, and the, Because the, I'm not going to fix the nasty ones, right? The Lego things, too, are like, those are client problems. Like, you just go, and somebody's like, hey, here's all the things I'm dealing with. And you go, all right, let's take them apart, bit by yeah. bit. And that That's is right. one of the best, most emotionally satisfying things I can do. That's So when someone's asking, what is all that, you know, what's it like dealing with all that anxiety – that's me doing my job. Like I'm, I'm in there taking that energy and taking things apart and looking at what people are telling me and going, wait, what if you did this instead? Right. And that's the wheel turning. It just keeps turning and turning and turning, and it's a source of joy. That's 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 the rub, right? We're fortunate in that you know what we're chasing isn't the primary. It's not for me. I don't think it is for you either. It is not the primary source of anxiety. No, we're not surviving here. We're thriving. I mean, these are... There are other things. I have have kids. And, you know, if my kids say their tummy hurts, I I worry. Uh, Right. It's just a natural instinct. No, I worry about their safety and well-being. I worry about the the happiness of my wife. I worry about the, the wellness of my parents. Right. But... Bigger things. I would also say, too, I've written about anxiety. I definitely have anxiety that I deal with. I tend to treat it with you know, carbohydrates and sugar. It's not great. Mm. But it's a thing that I know and understand in my life pretty well. Right. There were points a couple years ago I've written about this where I'd get random panic attacks and stuff like that. But, you know, I went. It's all shrink. I know what's happening in there better yeah. than I used to. It doesn't really come into work very often, and it actually doesn't come into my life very often. That's so, great. Yeah, I think that if we segment people out by their mental state in the creative services industry, every company will need to be about 5% as big as it is today. I right. mean, people deal with their stuff. The great thing about this industry and about what we do, what I love about it, is what I just said. You don't take all that to work. You go and you do your thing. You try not to. I mean, yeah. You know, some people, people struggle with that. Human but, beings come in the door. Right. But you try not to. And in fact, that's one of the things we kind of take pride in is like it's sort of the uh, an exception space where you can step out of your life a little bit and be in this place and do the things that this place wants from you and then leave. And that's right. And go from there. That's so. right. So that's that's the goal. Cool. Now, speaking of stepping out, we're going to continue a conversation this week. With Craig Maud. Yes. Who is an actual inveterate wanderer. Of an exceptional sort. We're going to talk a lot more. We're going to talk a little bit about his startup today that he had. 
a we're few gonna years talk ago about see where it ended up. We're going to talk about nickel. We're going to talk about nickel, which we'll get to the details of. All right, let's talk to Craig. So, okay, you went and you started a writing community around travel. Yeah. For online called Hi.co. Yeah. Hi.co is a place with lovely typography, beautiful design, and lots of people came and told stories about traveling, and Very it connected nice. to maps and yeah. Well, and it was it didn't it didn't rely on apps. It was all built on the web. I mean, we built it in a time when it was clear everyone in the world was going to have a smartphone mm-hmm. everywhere, and there's yeah. going to be three G connectivity everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so part of it was like, how do you set a stake in the ground that is not dependent on everyone being able to download an app? Or building an app for four different platforms. So you yeah. took a stand in a sense. Well, yeah, it was a very, it was a lazy stand. Mm. It, it was, it was, it was in some ways a, a resource constrained stand. But I do think it's a lot. It's nice to be able to give someone a URL and they can contribute. And they don't have to think about the, yeah, you're, the you're mechanics in, of downloading. You're in app. a very safe space here with that argument. I yeah, mean, that's, we, we're, we're with you. We recognize that very much. But that was a focus for you for a year or two at least, right? Yeah, I mean, we ran for four and a half years. Okay. Did you raise money? We, so, uh, well, who's we, first off? Me and uh, Chris Palmieri in uh, Tokyo. Mm -hmm. He runs a design studio, AQ. And uh, it it emerged from an older project called Hitotoki, which means one moment. And we shortened it to high. Yeah, different URL than high.co. Different URL, but we shortened it because no one in the world can say Hitotoki. So you well, cut some off, people cut in off the world, letters. but Rich and me, no, not yeah. so much. Or remember it. And yada, yeah. yada. So I got – Silicon Valley is this weird thing, right? It's <laughs> yes. this weird – Yes. Yes. Weird, Craig, you called it. Weird yes. place where there's too much money. There's just too much money. Mm-hmm. Too few people have it. Those people are, in, for the most part, completely bonkers. <laughs> and and <laughs> they just throw it around sometimes. So you know, me and Wilson Miner and, and like 10 other people – Got an email, said, come to this thing. You may or may not have won this thing. We went to this thing, and they gave us $100,000 each. Wait, what, what do you mean? This is the thing. So what is the email? You've never had this experience? No. Oh. No. No, I've never had this experience either. <laughs> no. So wait, did you submit no, something? No, they just, it was Your name out got of the tossed blue. around. Were you a Teal it fellow? Was, it was so badly organized. The, just the, like, the, the, the thing to which you came to receive $100,000. In, in just the, the strangest way, it felt like, you know, this was like over the weekend, a couple of billionaires decided, hey, you hey, know what? To, you know, two million, but we got two million bucks. Yeah. Let's just give it to people. Yeah. Let's just throw let's it just around. Let's just do it. Let's yeah. say, let, let, give, me, give me 20 names. We're going to give them 100 grand each. So God each, damn it, I had you, a notable, each individual got 100 grand. Yeah. Each of us got so 100 were, grand. I had a notable blog. Why didn't this ever happen to me? Yeah. I don't know. No, I, we, we know why. Coffee. Okay. Yeah, coffees. I've yeah. made I've made many bad decisions. There's got to be a link somewhere, though. It was uh, who knows. There's got to be a dotted line. I mean, Wilson must have known someone that he met at a party or <sighs> something. It's also it's also you know it's the thing that's so infuriating. It's like FaceTime. It's like maybe you met someone at a thing, but like that. You know, the more virtual the world becomes, the more important it is to okay. sit down with folks. So yeah, billionaires coffee. called twenty white people together. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably. and gave them each a hundred thousand dollars to because it felt cool. Oh, so you got now you got a half million bucks between all of you. I don't know how many you are. We got two million bucks between everyone. You were twenty people. Yeah. So you all said, "Hey, we each got a hundred grand. Come over here. Let's so put it in one pile." It was this insane thing that the stipulation was you had to you could only spend it on investment. 
All right. You could only you could only use it to invest in things. It's not that insane. If you'd gone to the mall with that, Craig, I think they're probably as crazy as they are in Silicon Valley. That's not what they wanted you to do. Yeah. I mean, they didn't want you to spend it on lottery tickets. <laughs> but there was no <laughs> just, if I ever parliaments. Michael, my my good. I have a line which is like, if I ever win the MacArthur Genius Grant, I'm going to spend it all on lottery tickets. <laughs> well, that's what we did. So I I started a lottery ticket company. It's great that I could invest in. <laughs> He's joking right now. And then just, now he's joking. That's yeah. all. I picked it yeah. up. We all did it. <laughs> it was a uh, his eyebrows go up about one and a half millimeters, yeah. and you're like, oh, okay. So you've got two million bucks. Yeah. It, well, it was very weird because they didn't give us any rules. There was no one there to coach us. Like no one was like, hey, have any of you ever invested before? What no. was the room like where they gave you the money? It was a, uh, <laughs> it was, um, it was dark with a lot of di- <laughs> diamonds, <laughs> with spotlights. Just Probably was in a strip club. Spot- <laughs> <laughs> it was in the Tenderloin uh, <laughs> district of San Francisco. We had to. We wore boxes on our heads, right, to they, go there. They had to, a little hazing ritual. No, uh, it was in. I don't know. It was in some. It was in. It was like a full-on thing with. A, with I think the only press there was TechCrunch. It was like it was so. <laughs> was this disrupt so or one of those? So, wait, so, 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 so okay. okay, okay. So oh, all right. okay. okay, all right. Well, let's just accept that he's got two million bucks or. X amount of dollars so, if people work together. So we got a hundred thousand. So I some of that I invested in in uh, Mandy's company. So Mandy uh, Mandy, Mandy Brown. Brown editorially what? editorially. So okay. So I took a chunk of it. Oh, so they were willing to let you. It didn't have to be one venture. You could do whatever. You could, you, well, this is the thing: is like really there were no no rules. one was helping us. Got it. Do this. So you gave Mandy Brown's gave company Mandy, some money. Gave gave him some money, and then uh, Wilson Miner was. Kind of, a lot of people were just frustrated by it. They were like, "Okay, how do we get rid of this?" So this is like universal. Weird. This is like universal basic income for rich, connected people, <laughs> which is really what Silicon Valley wants to do, right? Like, <laughs> it's what if we could do it, but only for happy, successful, connected people. Yeah, only okay. for only for people who yeah. are making at least you know four hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, that's that's. That's the cutoff. This is tragic. We need to add like sad cello music. I know behind this story. It's very well. You know what's what's so weird about it is they did this for two years. There's a couple rounds of this, and then it just evaporated. Sure. Well, someone got tired. But there, was, but bored. there was like you know that's six million bucks. That was basically. But so this is the thing that 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 I think befuddles me about the universe. And after having lived in, I'm glad I went and lived in Silicon Valley. I did that 2010 to, to the end, the end of 2010 to the end of 2013. Okay, I was in mainly in Palo Alto, which I loved. It right. felt like going to, in terms of the other, feeling like I was surrounded by the other. It felt like I was in a little village in Tibet. You know, it's like you know how the universe really, cur- yeah, yeah. You know how the universe like curves around on itself. Like if you go all the way to the one edge, you're actually back at the other. Like it felt to me like a little village in Tibet was as as foreign to me as everything that was going on in Palo Alto. And I was just delighted and fascinated. I lived two blocks from Steve Jobs. I, I was able to rent this really cheap house. This is right before everything cost a trillion dollars. So I was renting a cheap house for a thousand bucks, two blocks from Steve Jobs. And you'd walk around. It was like being, it was like if you made, you know, Dollywood for tech. And you'd walk around your neighborhood. And, oh, there's Steve Jobs. There's Larry Page. Right. They're there's, just hanging around. Everyone's just kind of jogging or yeah. walking around. And everyone keeps, you know, Palo Alto. This is old Palo Alto. Nobody has curtains. So you're looking into people's houses. You just see everyone's, everyone's just like looking to our house. Right. There's no curtains. So at night you'd walk back. I'd walk back from working. And it was, it was beautiful. It felt like a movie set. 
Well, it's, that's the thing. You're not really living in Palo Alto. You're just sort of an anthropologist. But I, you know, I was there. For, I was around. there for two years, sort of like deep, deep. Yeah, in. but you're looking in people's windows, standing in the bushes. That's not living in Palo Alto. Well, it is for. Yeah, kind of. That's what I do. Whenever I'm, it's okay. not normal. Okay, so I have to talk to my neighbors. Yeah, right. Okay. Did you make friends in Palo Alto? I, had a, I mean, I had a sweatshirt on. <laughs> I had a hoodie. <laughs> okay. Did you make friends? Well, we don't have to get into his Palo Alto life. Let's go high dot co. Yeah. So, so high you get co. this money, so you do did, it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like elevator pitch of high dot co high. for those co, that don't know what it is. Uh, Geo. I mean, it it just sounds like. It just sounds horrible when I do elevator pitch. It, but it was like geo look sort of stories connected to place. The end. That's it. And Sto- that's a sto- great yeah, catch. That's catch it. Stories connected to place. Okay. And the idea was that the capturing, the writing, the publishing pieces right. could work on any device anywhere. Right. So it's a platform. It's a platform. It's a social network, it sounds like, to some extent. For people who travel and are experiencing things around them, is that a safe? What was it about? It, it was, yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. Let's just say that. All right. You build it. It's for the web. We built There's it. There's no app. It was totally open. You know, we, we stretched that money as long as we could possibly stretch it. And uh, we ran it for a few years. Uh, well, tell, tell us about the launch. Uh, you're out. It goes live. And yeah, how is the reception? It was good. I mean, it was really good. It wasn't as good as it needed to be to keep the thing going forever Okay. or to raise more money. I was going to say, was yeah. it good enough to go ask for more money? No, you know, and the thing, I mean, a, a lot of what I do is not, is not commercially viable. Okay. On a big scale. Did you tell yeah. that? On a, on a Silicon Valley scale. Did I know you tell that, that to the people that gave you the money? Just yeah. curious. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like, this is definitely going to be a failure. Let's put this thing out there. I see. It was, this is, you know, let's see what happens. What were this. you, what was your role, by the way? Were you the, C- CEO, the pres- yeah. CEO? Yeah. Okay. I'm embarrassed to say I was the CEO. Okay. I don't want, like, I don't want well, to be no, the CEO. It's forced upon one by corporate law. It's wanna, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, I don't want to be that's the structure. That's okay. I don't want to be the CEO. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, okay, so you're that. a couple of years in. You're feeling like, okay, this isn't going to be a meteoric rise. Well, okay, here's the thing. Let's let's decouple from like the general ways of talking about companies being successful or not. Let's just talk about things uh, online, digital stuff, having an, a lifespan, a natural lifespan. It's like you you make a thing, people use it. And maybe there's a point where you go, okay, this doesn't have the velocity or the energy or whatever to keep going forever. So instead of letting it peter out into nothingness and maybe maintaining it and then as technology changes, not updating to, to abide by those yeah. changes. In fact, it, letting it feel hobbled, you know, burning a weird trickle of money in the background. Instead of letting that happen, which, which happens with so many projects. Yeah. Let's say, God forbid, a digital thing have a bookend. God right. forbid it end. Party's over. God forbid there's yeah. a natural stopping point. There might be people still using it. But right. you go, look, this was the thing. This was the experiment. We did it. And then. That's a success. To, at the end of the experiment. That's a happy ending. No, wait. No, wait. Because wait. it was very important to Craig that the things that people created using his platform persisted. Okay. That they lasted. So part of that is leaving the servers up. Part of that's keeping servers up. All right. Wait. Hold on. So wait, wait, wait. Wait, what? I've got stuff in this thing. Yeah, photos. You got photos. You some get, journal and, entries. Well, and, and the thing, the thing that was interesting about it is that the community was so tight, and all these friendships were kind of born on it. There was a tremendous emotional connection to it. How, by, how, by how big was the uh, user base? Like tens of thousands. Okay, that's not nothing. Yeah, right. especially with lots of contributors. Yeah, active tens of thousands yeah. is very, very good. Okay, so 
it's up there. Like, it's archived. That's good. That's a digital archive. That's yep. nice. But then you said to yourself, is that enough? Well, I like making books. You like making things. I like making stuff. Uh, generally, the stuff is shaped like a book. But you can't print a book with tens of thousands of posts. Well, we were going to do that. There's a, I mean, there's this whole movement of, you know, the library of the printed web, right? Or like printing out everything. There's the, the person who printed Wikipedia last year, you know, in a, in a room. How big it's, was that? It's a lot. It's big. Stuff. It's, it's a lot big. of things. It's a lot of paper. You know, James Bridle printed the Iraq War, the Wikipedia edit history of the Iraq War entry. Yeah, they're like beautiful. That. Actually, it's like 20, volumes. 20 yeah. volumes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was talking with Blurb and they, you know, they were like, yeah, let's, we'll sponsor you printing out this entire thing. It was going to be, it, we figured it out. It was going to be like, I don't know, like 500 volumes, you know, 400 pages. It was just going to be a lot. With so really wait, this is type. every photo. Every single thing. Every entry. That was put into the system. Would get printed on paper. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, I don't know. You're going to print, you print it on paper. It takes up a lot of, first of all, it takes up a lot of room. Yeah. Someone's got to be a steward of this big thing. It's going to get burned. You'd have to find a library that wanted to preserve it. or And also, it doesn't last that long. I mean, come on. The, the time horizon we're talking about is like maybe 100, if you're lucky, like a couple hundred years. Maybe. And then the chances. The paper. Of, uh, the paper. And then the chances of it remaining intact and not losing. I don't know. It's just, it's not very good. It's not very durable. Yeah. So what happened then? So I was talking with Kevin Kelly. We're having dinner. Noted technology thinker and futurist Kevin Kelly. And I, and I mentioned him by name mm-hmm. because- Little name dropping. Little name dropping. His book's here on the shelf. Big yellow book somewhere. But uh, I mentioned it just because he's done a lot of work around this stuff. Like, and if you're interested in it, go oh, the Long Now Foundation. The Long Now Foundation. And, and he said there's a technology that lets you print stuff on little nickel plates. And so I said, okay. Nickel great. lasts a long time. Long story short, there's a way to print the entire website on a two-inch by two-inch nickel plate, everything. The nickel plate lasts 10,000 years. It's tiny. Most importantly, it's readable by an optical microscope. So 8,000 years from now, we've nuclear annihilated most of everything here. But we can still kind of grind glass. You can make a, you can make a pretty rudimentary optical microscope. You can, you can read this thing. You'll be able to read it. You don't need an algorithm. You don't need a. Uh, you don't need a, a drive. You right. don't need a decoding. Decoding. There, there are no pre. The prerequisites are low. Well, what's interesting? The, you know, the, the Voyager record is really fascinating, right? So the the what was it? Nineteen seventy seven. They shot that thing up. It was an actual record, and yeah. on the reverse of it, it's on gold, right? Like it's. A, it's uh, like it's, some sort of metal plate. It, there's a little bit of gold, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it just lasts. But it is a record, and if an alien finds it, you need to make a record player to play the record. And so on the reverse of the golden record, there's a schematic drawn using sort of mathematics of fundamental properties of atoms, right, that are, form the basis for making the schematic about yeah. how to build a machine that will read the record. That's a lot to ask of anyone, Yeah. right? So this technology that prints on the nickel plate using ions, you can read it with an optical microscope. So anyway, the, the, the goal, there were a couple goals. One was how do we respect the community? Super important. So these, you know, people come, you, you put a thing online and you say, come contribute to the thing. That's a big ask. I, like, it's I, you a huge know, ask. A, a lot of people, a lot of people don't take that seriously. It's really, it's really frustrating. It's like, oh, yeah, we built this thing. Yeah, you contributed to it, but we didn't make a trillion dollars. So too bad we're shutting everything. They, like, most people do not <sighs> take that seriously. Yes. It's really, it's lame. Right. It's very lame. So anyway, so one was how do we respect the contributions? And then two how do we make something that's interesting from this that's not totally trivial? And then three, how do we create an archetype for an actual long-term archive? Okay. 
and this kind of fit the bill for all of that. So it's two inch by two inch. Yeah. Okay, so it's very little. Very tiny. How do you print? Is it lasers? It's what a laser, you, okay. ion laser yeah. thing. It's lasers. It's lasers. Yeah. Lasers. That's good. I we don't I don't do enough with lasers. <laughs> you gotta do more with lasers. Just, that's a great what do they do? Is it lasers? That's yes. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Is it on a shark? So, is it making a disc? So you, so yeah. you did it? We're doing it so we're doing it when I get back to Japan. You're doing it. Yeah. I mean, we, how much does this, this so process it costs, cost? It costs a lot of money. So we had to. We ran out of. You know, we used all of our money. We don't have any more money to run this thing. It doesn't have the velocity to ask for more money. So we have to shut it down. So we said, how do we raise money to archive all to this. print this thing? Yeah. And uh, Hi.co is kind of a good URL. Ah. So four letters. Four letters. So we we sort of cut off our leg to feed ourself okay in a way but we moved the archive to hitotoki.org which was kind of where everything the online archive archive.org has the original archive stuff from hi.co and um through the sale of the domain we were able to raise enough money to be able to afford all of the ion lasering no kidding yeah do you mind if we ask how much so it depends it's it depends on a number of factors but we're we're estimating we need at least Thirty thousand to okay. to do it right. And Hi.co is a I nice mean, small domain, short yeah, domain name that's attractive. Well, that lets you know is you can print hundreds of thousands of pages on a on a nickel disc. It's actually for not that expensive. thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's great. That's a bargain. So then I went to the Library of Congress in April, and I met with their part of their archive team, and I gave them the pitch on it, and so they accepted it into the to be a steward. I mean, frankly, the it's plate. Cool. It, it's four square inches. Yeah, I mean, if they could say, ah, I don't know, we don't have room for this. Yeah, I just put not, it in another like, book. You would be surprised how hard it is to get a cultural institution to accept a thing. I would have held on to it for you. I put it in my wallet. I mean, obviously, we're looking at it in one dimension in terms of do I have shelf space, but there's more to it than that. There's obviously. a little more. Of course. So oh, it's going to be it's going to be in a you know at least one good place. All right, good. So and the then lo- well, and then the other the other goal is to to sprinkle it around the continent. So make, we want to make like five copies of it. And have one in Australia. I figured no one is ever going to do anything to Australia. No. Put it in Australia, probably going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so great. this is amazing. This is a great outcome. I mean, the community An incredibly is respectful happy. outcome, by the way. Worth noting. We're trying to be. Yeah. Did the community respond well to this outcome, do you think? Yeah, I mean, no. We got zero death threats. Yeah, that's, that's amazing for the internet. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. I once shut, shut down a surface and it wasn't. Anywhere near as nice. No, it, it can be really difficult to yeah, shut down a Different service. podcast. Yeah. You have a book. New book. A new book. How many books have you published? It's, it's fuzzy. With you as uh, contributor, author, slash photographer, whatever. Uh, well, I guess uh, three. Oh, okay. Ish. So this book is called Koya Bound. K-O-Y-A yeah. Bound. What is Koya? What is place. Koya? Koya is a place. Okay. It sounds beautiful. Guess where it is. Japan, and no, I really have no idea. And in a mountain. Oh, is there a forest? Yep. Oh, so it's a forest and a mountain and a okay. cemetery. Okay, in so Japan, incredible cemetery. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a great place. Okay, a wonderful place. Koyab- the monkeys. The French love it. There's monkeys sort of nearby. Do the Japanese have bears? Lots of bears. They do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the book's called Koya Bound. Now, t- tell us a little about this book. It's big. It's a big physically book. big. It's a physically big. So the book wasn't meant to be a big project. So I do these walks, and 
I started doing these walks three years ago, these pilgrimage walks. Japan is interesting in that it's got it's an old place. It's an old place, and and in 1600 there was a big war that after the war created a lot of peace. And when people had peace, they decided to start doing all these walks. And Japanese people historically love to travel within Japan. Interesting. Just because it's hard to go out of Japan. So there are all these roads, there are these, these ancient highways and Buddhist pilgrimage walks, Shinto pilgrimage walks. A lot of temple-related stuff going on. A lot of temple-related. Yeah, well, okay. it was, you know, it's funny. I mean, the sense of, re- of sort of religiousness was not, people would say they're going on a pilgrimage only because it was the way to get permission from your, your local government to leave the town. So you'd say, I want to go on a pilgrimage. And they'd say, okay, sure. But really, you just want to travel. Oh, you weren't allowed to leave. Yeah, there was a lot of checkpoints and passports, and uh, it, you needed letters from your hmm. local magistrate and things like that. So, so you've done a lot of these. Yeah, and I've been, and one of the things that's come out of it, as I've become more comfortable doing them, I'm more comfortable inviting people to come with me. I feel like I won't kill them. You used to do them alone. No, I used to do them with my walking mentor. What? There's a walking mentor. This is a person, not a monkey. It is a person. This is there's there's a I feel that this is, we're now getting in the zone where it's a spirit sort of guide or no okay so wait so you have a walking mentor I have a walking mentor is that for like meditative Taught guidance me, and stuff no or? I mean just someone who knows how to do this stuff that I, do you know, what you're walking to go walk it's tough gotta get the it's pace tricky. right it's tricky okay are you give headphones on I have to ask no you've done a ton of walking there's no headphones no headphones you okay. listen to the forest forest is better music than you could ever have in your ears oh be quiet Paul. <laughs> The birdies. <laughs> yeah. The bears. I'm buying Actually, it. Actually, the monkeys. I yeah. believe what the you're monkeys saying. The monkeys make them more, They're good singers. Okay, so... So we go on these walks. Right. And I start inviting people. So to get back to what Koyabound is, is I, w- I did a walk in March. Invited... March of this year. Yeah, March of... Yep, this year. 16. So 2016. Invited Dan Rubin to come along. He's a photographer. Okay. You may know him from a previous life as a web guru. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of web stuff, web yep. design stuff from, uh, I think, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, invited him to come take some photos. And so the idea is that, okay, great, you can go on these walks. You kind of do it. They disappear. They're, they're wonderful, med- meditative, beautiful. You eat great food. You take nice baths every night. I mean, they're, it's kind of the best case set up for walking in, okay. in the world, I think, which is also why it makes it easy to keep doing them. Sounds like a great mentorship opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You guys love to walk? Mentor. Yeah, mentor someone on taking a bath. Like, you yeah, guys. Yeah. Communal so bathing is, I, is a, it'd probably is a be great really thing. good for me. My brain is scrambled eggs, so it'd yeah. probably so be good. I'm so a Dan, miserable human being. This sounds I mean, great. So Dan Dan and I did a walk. We did the walk, and we made, you know, we said, let's make a book. And we, we decided. Because you looked at the photographs you took as you were walking. Yeah, okay. Well, we said, well, we're going to do a walk. I, you know, let's just make an artifact, an artifact from an experience, okay. right? So why not? We know how to make books. We're both designery people. Uh-huh. And the idea was to just spend basically three days making the book and then just put it up as a print-on-demand thing. And um, we did the walk. We hid in another little inn for a week making the book, printed out stuff with a cheap brother laser printer put the book together and then we're like well if we made this much stuff let's talk with we realized we had only shot the book with Leica cameras so we went to we talked to Leica people and they're like oh great let's support that and it, the thing just kind of kept growing it was really meant to just be a weekend project so you talk to the camera the Leica people the, the people who make the camera yeah and we were like I'm sure they have a marketing yeah, side got or PR people and yeah. stuff and so yeah I don't know the thing just kept growing in the end we ended up going to my Japanese printer that I've been working with for over 10 years that we made a thousand copy limited edition run of this giant 
book of sounds photographs really cool yeah it was fun it was great i mean you know a thousand there are only a thousand copies only a thousand copies how many have you sold uh about seven fifty eight hundred something like that okay so you're gonna sell them all yeah well and and so and then the pricing of it is it's a hundred bucks a copy right so and it's pricey and the reason you have to do that is if you've made books you realize there is no money to be made at the scale most people can do books. Like book books become interesting interestingly profitable at about 10,000 copies. Chances are you're not going to sell 10,000 copies. So what you have to do is you have to kind of mitigate that lack of real profits by making it the price special. Yeah. Well, you you make it you make a special thing, you limit the thing, and you charge what you need to charge for it. Art Space Tokyo, another book I did six and a half years ago. I mean, it was $65. It was a small little hardcover book, but that's the price we needed to charge for it to be Worthwhile. Moderately interesting, yeah. So anyway, Koya Bound, 100 bucks, And even after um, charging that much, the profits are so minuscule that... Yeah. This is, sounds like a labor of love. This, is, was, you, well, this was not about... It's like a bad signal. Right. It's a bad signal. You put the thing out in the I world... Mean, did Leica give you money? No, no. They, they gave us... Um, Cameras? They, they gave us, like, encouraging emails. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, really encouraging. That's it? Very encouraging emails. And... Uh, okay, that's not and PR? Some books, and some books. Okay. And a lot of uh, Instagram love. All right. That's They're, fine. Yeah, whatever. Like it can step up here. This is a heck of an advertisement for that camera. But. So I don't think Craig's going to go deep down that path. Yeah. No, no. it's just do the right thing. Whatever. All right. It's all good. We'll write him a letter. All right. So where is this book? How, if people are interested. So the book is online. It's if only you type Koya Bound, I'm sure you'll find it. Talk, uh, and the other thing well, we, we put links in. The, the well, and, yeah. the, and the other thing we made was uh, a website. So w- it's called wakkumano.com. Because uh, the thing we walked was Kumano Kodo. That's the pilgrimage path name. And then Koya Sun is the kind of end point that we got to on the on the path. Very cool. And the idea was, well, okay, we do this thing. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to make just an elite sort of object. That $100 book is a ridiculous thing to ask people yeah. to buy. Like, I'm embarrassed to ask. No one has to buy that book. Right. And I want to give everyone the equivalent of that book and even more for free. All so we way. have walkkumano.com. Very cool. Totally free. Uh, it's kind of like the diary of the walk. It has um, Strava data. You can look at all our, our GPS mappings. Um, Fun. You can look at, you can d- direct links to all the inns we stayed at. Like if you want to mimic that walk. That's really cool. Go on the website. That's really cool. Click through it. Right. Yeah, scroll Very through nice. it. But we're about to run out of time, but I want to ask you a question. Sure. That I think the listeners will, will value. You have, you have sort of an exceptional perspective uh, just b- based on, your experiences and the kind of the decisions you've made in your life. And, but if you could share what you're seeing out there today when it comes to design and craft and what you're happy about and not so happy about. You don't have the classic LinkedIn job one, then job two, then job three, then job four. I think you'd break LinkedIn. If you actually put in your life into LinkedIn, I think it would crash. But your perspective is so interesting and your value system is so interesting that I think getting your viewpoint on how designers think today and and what you're seeing in design today, I think would be interesting. Uh, well, here, let me give you uh, some examples of things that I love. That would be great. How about that? So I love Brother laser printers. I just love them. It's what? P- it's perfect. It's like a perfect, like peak of technology. It's like where th- it's where everything was going to, and then we finally got there, and now it's there. Brother just laser. Just a classic eighty dollar Brother laser. Eighty print? bucks. It's eighty bucks. You buy cheap toner. The thing lasts forever. It, it really does last forever. It I prints so quickly. It doesn't smudge if you get the, the things wet. Okay. It comes out hot. It's hot. So you can print out an essay and you feel it's hot. 
in your hands. Right. It's like you feel like that's probably a safety issue, but we won't. It's you're you're opt. It's <laughs> you're not taking a, a very it's, positive it's view. Not of that. A, it's not a <laughs> Samsung printer, and it's just great. I mean, it's it, it works reliably. Okay. It's one it does one thing. It's wonderful. Okay. Another thing I love. Yes. Surgical grade silicon clothes line. What? <laughs> so it's this. <laughs> it's this. It's this rubber clothesline. It's braided, braided <laughs> silicon. Okay. And you stretch it to make a clothesline wherever you are. Okay. Because, you know, if you're traveling, you need to wash your undies. Okay. You make the clothesline, and because it's braided silicon, and it's surgical grade, so it feels really nice, the braids, as it's stretched, the tension of it being stretched allows the braids to be pulled apart so you can stick your underwear in there to hold on to it. So you don't need clothespins. It's beautiful. Oh, interesting. Does that make sense? Can you imagine that? It does. It makes perfect sense. I mean, okay. Anything else? I love that. I love that. What are you hating right now? I love. uh, Let's focus on the love. Okay. I. You know, I'm hating the opposite of this stuff, which is which is complexity. Yeah. One thing I'll say, I think iOS was a a very beautiful, incredible, important step forward. If you look at a laptop, it's the same interface they were using in the mother of all demos from 60 years ago. It's the same stuff. These windows you move around, a little mouse pointer. It's insane typing on the thing, the fact that even the terminal is there for people to stick there. It's just crazy. Like, if, if you think about it, we're weird. We are the aberration. Normal users being expected to use a laptop. Is a, even today. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a bonkers thing. Yeah. Sometimes, like in OS X, sometimes if you close the window, the app doesn't close. Sometimes if you close the window, the app closes. Right. Sometimes you have to quit the app. So anyway, so, you know, to TLDR, computer laptops are still too complicated, Sure, I think. And then iOS, when it came out, was this beautiful, simple, anyone can understand it. And I think in the last couple of years, iOS is, is moving too far in the direction of laptops. It's getting more complicated. You can do apps side by side. You can, you know, like the notifications. Who knows how notifications work? Nobody knows. I have a, an issue we could talk about. I would, actually, I would take that to a governmental body at this point. It it's is, bad. It, it's a nightmare. It's weird. It's you know, unpredictable, actually. It, it, it just makes me sad. There, there are certain sort of energy current flows inside of tech companies and inside of tech production that force things to get more complicated. This is yeah. why I love the Brother printer, because that thing is not going to change. You get the cheapest Brother printer. Right. It has two buttons, an on-off switch and a reset button. That's all it's got. And I love that. And yeah. it works. And it works. And it's it works. true. Um, I think we can get Brother to sponsor sponsor this podcast. I mean, that uh, there's no doubt. Sensible. About it. No one Brother has not been approached. No one is. No one is going to Brother and years. saying like, "You yeah. guys represent the paragon of great design." No, we're going to we're going to see who we can get in touch. with. I have a $110 full duplex Brother printer at home. It's small. It's Wi-Fi. It is beautiful. It just does the thing. Yep. And it's so rare to find that. Sponsored by – I think we should sponsor, have Brother sponsor this podcast whether they speak to us or not because I don't think anyone's in the building. I think the reason the Brother printer has not gotten more complicated is because nobody's in there's the building. There's literally a print <laughs> – there's a printer. <laughs> I think they're just making them. There's a printer that prints Brother printers. <laughs> and exactly. It's exactly. been running for 25 years. Nobody <laughs> nobody actually goes there right. anymore. Craig, this has been amazing. It was fun. This Thank was a, a full exploration. I feel like I traveled. I do. I feel I know a lot more about Craig and and, and – yeah. That the sh- that there's a continuous thread and that uh, is really interesting to see. Yeah, and a very unique thread. Very cool. Thank you for doing this. This Thanks is great. Me. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Well, Rich, mental health 
and nickel I mean, plates. We ran the spectrum today. Everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Craig was great. Fascinating person. Up to all kinds person, of stuff. Interesting conversation. I really enjoyed it. I love hearing about a resolution rather than and just going, hey, let's take this big idea and let's do something with it. Well, he forces you to sort of think about a different measuring stick. That's right. That success is not the unicorn Silicon Valley thing necessarily. He's got a very different view of what good outcome is. That there can be more than one kind of outcome. That's right. That is against Silicon Valley orthodoxy. Yeah. There's one outcome permitted. That's absolutely right. And it's it's an 100 or a 1,000 time multiple. And it's, you know, for people like us who build stuff and ship stuff, it's really refreshing to hear. It's true that there's there's other ways things can begin and, and end. So thank you to Craig for coming in and talking to us. And thank you, Paul. <laughs> thank you, Rich. We love to hear from people. Contact at postlight.com. You notice from the at in there, that's an email address. Yes. Contact at postlight.com. Give us a good rating on iTunes if it behooves you to do so. Rich, it's good to sit in a room and talk to you for a while. As always, Paul. It's great to talk to Craig. And if anyone has any ideas at all, we like letters, we like feedback, we like people who want to work with us. All of it is welcome at contact at postlight.com. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.